Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. Today, Jacob Hurst joins me. We talk about what life is like being a small publisher in the vendor hall of a convention. Of course, we talk about other things, and we even get a bit cheeky. Hold on to that pun so you can punch your bingo card later in the episode. There was a gap in recordings, the ending of a Kickstarter, the fulfillment of that Kickstarter plus another Kickstarter, and the soon-to-launch Kickstarter took up all my free time. My job is also grinding me up. Well, sometimes it still grinds me up. So the podcast fell a wee bit behind, as my friends in Northern Ireland would say. Life is getting busier for me, and there may be occasional lapses from my weekly schedule, but don't worry, folks. That would just be me taking a breather. The pre-campaign page is up for Scoundrels of Brixton. This is a gritty sci-fi setting that we will be developing through a series of zines. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can get notified when the project launches in April. Enough talking. Sisters and brothers, let's see what this episode holds. It is time to get rambling. Hello, Jacob. Hello. Well, it's good seeing you, man. I guess. Been what? How long? <laughs> I don't know. Four days. <laughs> Four days. Doesn't Gary Khan walk along the the vendor booths and uh, mind my own business? And this is really tall, dude. <laughs> and it took me about thirty seconds to look all the way up, all <laughs> the way up. And I recognized way in the distance a, a familiar face. I had no idea you're that tall, that tall, Jacob. Nice. Well, there you go. <laughs> I look up, it's like, whoa. I was not expecting to see you there uh, behind the table um, selling product at GaryCon. That's right. Got to hustle. You got to hustle. That was quite a, that was quite an experience, I think, for, for everybody. It was. It was a good con. I was, I was glad to be able to go. I mean, technically, that's my first convention where I've had my own booth outside the state of Texas. And so... It was it was good, yeah. Um, and uh, you're looks like you're in a pretty actually that whole setup that I was talking to the um, I can't remember who I was talking to. I was talking to a lot of people, but the uh, I think it, it, to me it fell. This is my first time being at Gary Con. It felt like the you know compared to Game Hall Con, so yeah, there's it's like the the space was like tighter, but it wasn't constricting. So it, it it made everything feel busy all the time. Yeah. It was a very interesting layout. Cause that hotel or that the resort, <laughs> right. You know, um, it's basically one long hallway. Right. And so you go from one end to the other and then the games are just kind of scattered throughout it. So then, yeah, it is, there's a lot of people coming and going and I guess you can go outside, but um, you know, then it snows on Saturday and I was not prepared for that. But, but uh did it ever yeah. snow? Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Yeah. But yeah, was... no, it was good. So, yeah, lots of lots of hustle and lots of bustle. I was really worried, you know, because the the vendor hall was all the way at one end. I mean, it felt going in very far away from the convention itself, but still, I mean, the entire time, like it was pretty it was pretty busy. There were consistently people coming through there, which was really awesome. Well, my, my GPS, you know, my phone got me, quote, unquote, to there. I, I still didn't understand what I was looking at. And I kept driving around and found a parking spot, and that was full. Found another parking spot, and that was full. I'm like, I have no idea. 
is I follow this car and I go down the hill into an airstrip. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I had to park on an airstrip. Wow. I thought, I thought this is kind of weird. Um, I wonder, I guess I got to walk. But then they had a trolley come pick us up. So. Oh, nice. Okay. I saw the trolley. I didn't realize the trolley was going there, but I had to get there so early um, in the morning that I was able to squeeze into the parking lots, which was, which was good. Because I was nervous about that. Yes. At first. <laughs> Wouldn't that be terrible? You get all the way there and you just, you can't park close enough to get your stuff unloaded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no, it all worked out. It was very good. It was very nice. And there were, I mean, like I said, tons of people, very busy and everybody was doing stuff. So it was, it was good. Everybody seemed very excited to be back in convention mode is what it felt like to me. Yeah. Yeah. And as excited as everybody was in getting into convention mode, uh, a couple of days later, I was getting notifications from friends that have either they themselves or a company I was with uh, people having COVID. Nice. Uh, so I guess we're, we're still, <laughs> I guess we're still in these times. So, well, I came home and then like my kids are, are sick and i don't know so i was like so i don't know if maybe like i've gotten something from them now coming back which of course that's how i was like i was fine for the convention i was fine at the convention and then i come back and then it's waiting for me at home right well, you, can't, you can't avoid it now those kids i mean it, those schools and different things they're all just petri dishes just full oh, yes. of just yeah it's just yeah you're probably better off with a bunch of uh at a con than you are with with a bunch of kids <laughs> right <laughs> Exactly. exactly so how far is it for you to, to, to what part of texas are you from so um i'm in south texas technically i live wow. pretty much exactly on interstate 10 and i figure that if uh the real world was had an achievement system i probably would have unlocked something because i made it from you know interstate 10 all the way up to interstate 90 which i think is kind of where it, the u.s interstate system pretty much caps out but maybe, maybe not. Um, so yeah, that was, that was fun, but I made it and I made it back and I'm in one piece and I have all my books with me. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. That's uh that's quite a haul. I've, uh, especially, especially hauling. Um, I'm assuming you had a, a trailer that you're pulling. No, everything fit in my car, which was nice. So that's one thing that's good. I mean, and I have a little car too, so I don't have that many book titles and I could bring like a box of each book and it worked out pretty good. I guess because you didn't have to worry about having a table. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the table was there for me. So I have my little banner that I can put up. I forgot to get, bring my pop-up banners of course, but you know, it's fine. There's always going to be something. Oh yeah. At least you remembered your books. Right. <laughs> Because, you know, exactly. famous stars can't sign your books if they're not there right. to, to sign. <laughs> mm -hmm. At least that's what I've heard. I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Jeez. You are somebody now. Do you ever watch The Jerk? I, it's been such a long time since I've watched The Jerk. A long time. But that's a really good movie. It's one of my dad's favorite movies. And, like, we watched it quite a few times. But it's been... It's been years since I've seen it. Well, yeah. one of my favorite parts is when Nathan R. Johnson was living in the um, in the gas station, mm -hmm. and he finally got his name in the in the phone book. So he flips through the phone book and he sees his name, and he starts you know jumping up and down, and exclaiming, "I am somebody! I am somebody! I am somebody!" Right. And then it cuts to a scene where a guy randomly places his finger in the phone book, 
who's a who's a a, a serial killer mm-hmm. and says Nathan R. Johnson. So that anytime something good happens to me, I'll yes. say I am somebody, I am somebody, I am somebody. <laughs> Just knowing that there's always somebody it. saying Nathan R. Johnson, he's dead. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what sort of famous people signed your books here, Jacob? Well, I mean, a famous or people signed your books, sign my your books, books, I should say. They yes. bought my books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the infamous, the infamous Joe Manchinello came and, and bought my books, which they was got really so cool. bamboozled. I forgot who was doing the signing. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, no. So he, he came by and, and got my books, which was really cool. And so, I mean, in, I would say in large part, it was thanks to a couple people. Um, there's, um, Ben Riggs and, uh, who oh, wrote, what is it ben. that? Um, oh my gosh, I can't think of the name of the book right now. I should dragons. I should Dragons. Yeah, yeah, slaying the dragon, right? Sounds good. Sure. I'm gonna we're, we'll do a Google search just to make sure that I know what I'm talking. Yeah, it is slaying the dragon. Yeah, because it was a history of Dungeons and Dragons. It's very good. Yeah, um, I've read. You know, I haven't been able to read the entire book, but I've made it at least you know about halfway through. Um, and so that's really cool. So he he did all of these interviews of people who had worked at TSR, you know, during its heyday and its decline and everything to write his history book. And then um, Joe Montanello is kind of doing a similar thing, but making a documentary. And for whatever reason, I don't know how this happened, but um, Ben was interviewing Joe uh, for a while. And during that conversation, so the, the way it was told to me was during the conversation, um, Ben was like, yeah, everything that Wizards of the Coast releases now, right now is terrible anyway. And supposedly Joe said, well, so like, who's good? What's good? And Ben said, Hot Springs Island, and they're here, <laughs> so you should go check it out. And so he tells me this, and I'm like, oh, that's great. It, and Ben also said, like, you know, by the end of their conversation, um, you know, Joe was like, you're my friend now, and, you know, cool stuff. Hey, you never know. Like, you never know. And so I was like, oh, well, that's really cool. Like, thanks for telling me this, Ben. I think that was on, like, Friday that he did that. Yeah. And then uh, Saturday, Joe was coming in to sign autographs and um, stops at my booth and says, you're the person I'm looking for. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hope that was a good um, way. <laughs> no, it's great. Well, another thing that's really cool is that um so for the Tomb of Black Sand, I commissioned this guy named Tim Hastings who goes by Mind Killer Inc on Instagram and he's great. Um but one of the things that I commissioned from him was to do the the Tomb of Black Sand like like a script sort of logo, right? And as part of that, I had said to him I was like, "Hey dude, it would be really cool if, you know, since you're making a lot of letters, if it's not that much of a pain in the butt, like how much more would it be to just go ahead and make it a font? Cause maybe I can use that font for the headings in the book and stuff too. Um, and you know, one of my big stipulations was like, you know, when you make it, just release it and let anybody do whatever they want to do with it. Um, and so, you know, this was several years ago at this point. Um, and he did, and he released the font. And then I guess Joe has been doing that death saves brand where it's like you know D shirts and he has like some dice and stuff and on they made these black and white dice and they used the tomb of black sands font for the numbers on the dice so then joe's at the booth and he sees the tomb of black sand he's like the tomb of black sand like the font and i was like yes and so um that you, was did you that tell me you're gonna you're gonna issue a cease and desist order to him <laughs> <laughs> just, no joe no, you're ripping no. me off <laughs> right, right, exactly. I was like, oh, I shouldn't have, you know, let anybody use it for whatever, but what? I don't care. It's fine. It's great. It was really nice. And so, um, and actually, that was one of the things that was kind of crazy is that that he has been following me on Instagram for a while because there was a conversation that I was having with um, Tim, because uh, I guess he did a shirt 
for death saves that had rage written really really nicely lettered across it and i think tim did that rage writing and so like we had a little conversation in the comments and then one day um or that that same day or the day after it was like joe manginello was following you and at that time i was like i don't even know who this guy is i think right. he had like 1.4 million followers and i was like what is this and so then i'm looking at this like i walked out onto the back patio um looking at my phone like some person with like a lot of followers just followed me like what is that and my wife is like who and she looks over and then almost falls on the ground yeah, exactly. like, oh my god he's following you <laughs> so then i told so i told him that too when he came up to us so i was like listen i just wanted to you know thank you so much for like following me on instagram because you did that a while ago and you know that really changed my wife's perspective about you know what i do like she's taking what i do more seriously now so you know i really appreciate you doing that and so he you know he thought that was funny or acted like it was funny you know he's an actor right but uh but then he also said he was like yeah yeah it totally helped me out too because he was like yeah my wife didn't really take my whole thing seriously with like having people coming over and playing games and stuff until all of the game of thrones people came over and played at my house and i was like oh all right (laughs) so there you go yeah that's the my little my little brush my little brush (laughs) so he got hot springs island the tomb of black sand and and a copy of the Jack Vance Whist book that I did, and I don't know. There we go. Hopefully, he likes them. Well, Hopefully I've, 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 I know you've sold at least you sold. Uh, I know you sold at least two and horse traded for another one. <laughs> I got, I got the scoop on the uh, on the on those other dudes. Uh, I can't remember who the ones you had. The, had the zines you recommended. The oh yeah, the the older guys with the 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 arg. I can't remember the. Um, gaming research guys they were really fantastic like i i loved their stuff i haven't had a chance to really read through them but i mean i got this stack of zines that was probably that tall um at the convention of these of these guys i mean i don't know they're probably in their mid to upper 70s maybe a little older and like they were there selling their zines and it was awesome because they were printing their zines live and stapling them and putting them together and like offering them there and telling people to sign up for their stuff and they had all these they had all these sticks um like walking sticks and i guess they were whittling some of them or one of the guys was like whittling some of them and making them into knives and and cups and stuff because the whole thing with their zines is they're very um historically focused and they're very i would say um nitty gritty i guess uh where they like to get super into the details for example like how much does 50 feet of rope actually weigh how much could it actually carry how much could like what kind of jerk force or jerk rating or whatever would it have um you know before it snapped like could you pull up a guy and plate mail armor on it and you know I think one of the guys was like, you know, and Gary said in, in the AD&D manual that, you know, 50 pounds of rope weighs 10 pounds. And like, here it is right here. Does this weigh 10 pounds to you? And I'm like, no, no, this doesn't weigh 10 pounds. But I don't know that I would necessarily care, but that's okay. But the, the thing that really made it amazing, um, in my opinion, I, I picked up one of the zines or two of the zines first um, just to go through them. And one of them, they were talking about uh, just like the layouts of medieval villages. And it, and the thing that was so great is that they had all these pictures and they had all of these um, examples and they were all sourced. And they're like, these are the places, like this came from these books. This came from these places on archive.org. So like it, they were immaculately sourced in my opinion. Um, I mean, it was really just kind of like physical blog posts, right? But with really good sourcing and it was just great stuff. So then I went back and I was like, I want to, you know, I want to buy all the rest of them. So I bought all the rest of them. Um, 
And then they were like, you want all of them? Well, like, maybe we could trade. And so then I was like, well, maybe we'll do a trade. So we did a little bit of a trade. Well, yeah. But then they were like, well, you'll have to have something that we want. And so I was like, well, that's fine. I mean, that's like, okay. I'm not going to force you to take my stuff. But then, yeah, we did a little trade. And so it was, it was good. They were, they had, they had great stuff. And um, they made a, war, uh, a halfling war spoon. I believe it was out of walnut. I don't, I'm not, I don't remember what, what wood it was, but it was like a dense, like war spoon. And at one point I looked up and Tim, Tim cask was there, you know, like swinging it around his head. And apparently he bought it from them. Um, so I was not able to get the halfling war spoon to go with it because like, that was, that was their whole thing with the wood is that they were like carving it into different shapes and then rating it and trying to like come up with, you know, better stats for these things or more ac- you know, judge the accuracy of what was in the old school, like D and D books and stuff. And I'm like, this is just, this is great. It's very good inspirational fodder. I don't feel like I don't feel like a lot of that stuff would ever really come up in my games, but I do feel like it's one of those things where you know, they're so detailed about a lot of things that if you picked one or two little items to talk about or work with, um it'd be great. Like it would be really fun. I mean, and one of the other guy, like I got him talking about poison and he was going on and on and on about poison and about shurikens and Apparently, the whole reason that you can carry shurikens around is because they were the 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 washers on like the temple doors or whatever, mm-hmm. and so then you just kind of sharpen them and you could throw them. And that uh, the reason you put the ribbon on the back of needles is because when you're throwing needles, is because it helps them fly straighter. And then here are these different types of poison that you can do, and yada yada yada, and they come from these common things and blah blah. And I'm just like, I love this. <laughs> I'm so into this. Um, but yeah, there you go. And apparently one of the big impetus behind shurikens, which I'm like, this is fantastic for an adventure, is is so supposedly um, they were used by farmers who were trying to keep their land safe from bandits because if bandits are coming through, they're hi- then you have the farmers hiding in the forest and they throw the shuriken, you know, and it goes across and it like cuts the guy's arm you know, cuts a bandit's arm and it's like, oh, it's a ghost. And he's like slashing you because it's like a sword cut or whatever. And I don't know if that's true or not, but that we was the story I was told. And I was like, that would make a phenomenal adventure thing where it's like, it's a haunted forest, but it's just peasants throwing shurikens across the road, like cutting people. Like, I'm like, I'm sold. I'm so, I don't care if it's true or not. I don't need to research that any further that I will. Uh, that is, it's that whole, it may be bullshit, but I believe it. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. No, they were the one I forget. Almost Steve, the one guy that I think is is he was behind the table and he was um, he was pretty animated. And I I said, you know, I want based on your what you're doing. I said, I'll I want one of each. I said, what kind of discount nice. can I get? So he gets the other guy, and the other guy comes in. The older I don't say older guy. Sure, he was the, apparently the businessman. He's like, well, he goes, we'll give it to you for seventy five. He goes, but he goes, I, I he goes, yeah. Hey, you go, are you eligible for any other discount? And I'm like, he goes, are you, are you, are you ex-military? Are you police? Are you a teacher? I'm like, no, 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 no. He looked at me as well. Is there any reason I should give you a discount? <laughs> I said, well, I got a podcast. Have you come on my podcast? He's like, hey, I'm not interested in a podcast. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'll just take it. It was $75. Yeah. Because it's kind of like, it's kind of in some ways, I figure me buying this is kind of like a Patreon. Yeah. These people are doing the Lord's work. I don't, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know why they're doing it, but you know what? They should be doing this. And yeah, it's it's really cool. Yes. I definitely want to support it. Like legit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's just so funny. Yeah. So anyway, one guy is um is gonna is willing to come on, the other guy not so much. So <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's pretty. Okay. Is it the guy who's wearing the mask that's gonna come on? Because well, one guy had the mask and the other guy had the beard. No, the one guy wasn't wearing a mask, but the, the okay. one that has the beard was not the one coming on. Oh, but it was the other guy. Well, maybe he took it off at one point. Every time I saw him, he had a mask on. But yeah, like if it's if it's the guy I'm thinking of, if you can get him talking about poisons and shurikens, like please, like that. <laughs> we need <laughs> we need more of that because it was great. It was great. Yeah, it's just uh, it was just fun seeing this. I guess just them being so intensely focused and, and animated mm-hmm. and committed. I mean, it, it's a level of commitment. It's like it's like evangelical level of like the masses have to know mm-hmm. that 50 foot of rope only weighs three pounds. The masses right. have to know this. Mm-hmm. It needs to be corrected. Yes, yeah. it does. <laughs> I'm good with that. That's awesome. <laughs> So the, I think the, so you get there, uh, is it Wednesday you set up for the, yes. uh, let's see, what did I do? I was here on Monday. I drove up on Tuesday. It was Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, and so I got there late on Wednesday. I didn't set up until Thursday morning, like the day of the, the convention itself. But yeah, a lot of people got up there, you know, early and were setting up on Wednesday. Wonder it had it, been too risky. I was like, you, you could, I wonder if you could have, but shipping the books would really wouldn't save anything because you're just you're driving your car. So. No, exactly. I mean, that was the problem that I was having with it is because because this convention, Gary Khan was in in Lake Geneva. Um, you know, it's it doesn't have a major airport, and so it's about an hour and a half outside of Milwaukee. It's about an hour and a half outside of Chicago, which makes it a nice spot. And there are a lot of people from Milwaukee and Chicago who come. Um, is what it seems like. Like it seems like a really good regional convention for up there. But when I was looking at it, I was like, okay, well, I could pay to have the books, you know, freighted up um, to the convention, which would be good. And then maybe I can fly up. But then it's like, well, I'm going to have to rent a car, and if I rent a car. Right. Then I'm get, that's going to cost me by, by the time I ship them up and rent the car and do all that and, and buy the plane ticket. I'm like, I'll save a lot of money by just like spending the time driving up there. And originally my buddy Donnie was supposed to, to come with me, um, which was going to make it work better. Cause then we could take turns driving and, and whatnot, but then he was not able to come. So I flew solo. Um, or I guess I drove solo. Um, but still, you know, worked out. It was fine. Cause yeah, no, I definitely looked into options being like, well, maybe if I shipped it there, maybe if I did, you know, whatever. Cause, cause that's been a very, um, I don't know, stressful thing to try and figure out where it's like, I'd like to go to some other conventions. I'd like to go out of the state or maybe, maybe even out of the country. Let's be crazy. Let's go to, you know, something in Europe. Whoa. Uh, but I mean, why not? <laughs> um, but I, but I, I, I don't know. It's that whole getting the books there. And so if it's something like, um, Pax Unplugged, which is in, in, what is it? Is that in Philadelphia or Pittsburgh? One of the two, it's in one of the, the big, uh, Pennsylvania cities. I know that much. Um, you know, if I have the books ship freighted up there and then I fly up there, I'm, I can fly to the city where the books are. I'm not having to, I'm not forced to rent a car. I, it would make more sense. Like I could like get an Uber or a Lyft or something. Um, I don't know, post in discord. If anybody can pick me up from the airport. Well, the other thing you, you know? may want to consider, uh, I use world of game design for helping me with the Kickstarters and backer kit, but they also yeah. hold inventory. And if they're already at conventions and they can sell your books mm-hmm. as well, 
maybe I'll just inventory a lot of your books with them. And then the, the conventions you share with them, you just have them haul your books there and you set up your own booth. Right. No. And they were great guys. And like, I've done that kind of before with the, the black blade publishing guys um, as well. Cause they go to, they go to North Texas RPG con um, black blade does. Uh, Cause I think they're in Kansas, Nebraska. Like, so they're kind of like right in between these two. Um, and so, yeah, they've, they've done that for me before where they've taken the hot springs island books up to to gary con when i couldn't be there which is really cool so yeah and the guys from world of game design were like super nice and awesome and i would love to to do some stuff with them too because yeah that would be that would be fantastic because it is it is that whole like well how do i get my stuff there what do i do you know what teamwork options i guess are available yeah because and maybe even i don't vin but maybe i just like go and attend and run games and then show up at the you know World of Game Design booth, with Blackboard Publishing booth, or something like that. You know, like I. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you could know. you have your own and have them haul it, and you just bring your books over, and you both be selling. Or you could just, like you say, you could just have it your own separate table, maybe potentially. Yeah, or share. You know, whichever. I don't know. I'm not I'm not super picky. I'm just trying. I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> I know we all are. So it, so the you know for um so i've not so i've done um art photography i've i've done that before mm-hmm. so this whole thing's not new to me but so you are you you go to conventions um are you you know it's a lot of hassle you have to you have to generate you have to uh buy a fair amount of inventory you have hotel rooms you have food um you know, which is a considerable amount of cost. I guess when you're doing these, are you looking to make money? Are you looking to say this is kind of like marketing or what's your, you know, what, what are you looking at when you're, you're doing this? Well, the one thing for me um, that I think is different than, than the art photography and, and for some, some guys who do books too, right? Like I don't, I don't do print on demand kind of stuff. Like I'm not having to decide like how many prints am I going to make to take to this, this show. Um, I have the the different curse, but a curse nonetheless of where it's like, okay, I have five pallets of books and oh. I want those five pallets <laughs> of books to go away. So I need to figure out how many I'm going to bring with me, you know, like how many boxes of books am I going to bring, um, you know, to this. And I don't want to bring too many because then it takes up too much space and I don't want to do whatever. Cause like I already have the inventory. I don't have to, it's just a matter of like moving it. And so I don't know if it's maybe kind of a, um, I don't know. I feel like I shouldn't have, this goal i feel like you know because like i did sales and stuff and it seems like having a low goal is not necessarily a good thing maybe that's my own fault but i mean my opinion has been if i'm breaking even i'm winning um just because of being able to meet people and hang out with people and you know get invited to be on a podcast you know conversation right. stuff like that like you know sell my books to joe manchinello like okay like okay right. <laughs> um you know, no, it's fantastic being able to do those things. And I wouldn't have those opportunities, you know, otherwise, like I, like it, it's, but sort of the trade-off is, well, like one of the things that I've been thinking about is that, that I I have been making things. um, I tend to take a broad approach and not a deep approach, right? Like if I was smart, the whole thing that I should have been doing the entire time with no, without losing any sort of focus whatsoever is I should have only been doing like Swordfish Islands, period. And that should have been it. And it should have been focused completely on making the rest of the islands. And that should be the whole thing. Um, 
but you know part of it was i was like well i should you know make some scenes and then other people were saying like hey can you like you you've suffered through the printing thing can you get my book printed and stuff and so oh, maybe i'm not like a little bit of a publisher or something um but you know one of the things that comes with that or i guess the really good example is like this wist book i'm so happy that i was able to do this wist book for for jack vance and there is an overlap between the people who like jack vance books and the people who like you know early dungeons and dragons stuff um so the you know the venn diagrams they overlap if you will uh but they don't overlap completely. They are different audiences. And I think that's one of the things where it's like all of my stuff that I've done predominantly has been online. So one of the things of that is like the convention audience is an audience um, that you kind of need to foster and potentially that you do foster. And so like one of the things for me that I saw at, at this, at Gary Con, um, more specifically than some of the other ones is like, I don't have my new book finished. And I had at least like, I started making tally marks after approximately 10 people came up. Um, but I had, I had at least 20 to 30 people that came up and either said, Oh, I already have hot Springs Island or frequently they were like, I already have everything on your table and I, I want to give you money, but I have nothing to give you money for. We're right begging now. you, you know? Make yeah. Something. Like, please, yes, please give me something so I can pay you some, <laughs> some stuff, but I, I can't do it right now. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of one of the things. So if you do, start going to the conventions and you're hopping to those places like there are similar like the same people come every time which is good because it is like a community so you get to like you get to know people you get to um recognize people you know you build relationships i think which is really nice but then from like a vendor perspective or a creator perspective there really is maybe more i don't know if pressure is the right word but it's kind of like you need to like your fans want something you do need to time your releases for those conventions. It's much more important because if you go and you drive for 20 hours and you take all your boxes of books and you have all these people that are really nice and really complimentary and they love your stuff, but they don't have any reason to give you money, then that kind of, you sort of shoot yourself in the foot in some ways. So I can understand how some of the bigger um, labels, if you will, like they do really plan their stuff around conventions because I think it's, it's, I don't know. It's significant. Like that's, that's the community, uh, the aspect, the trade-off of it. Yeah. I, I think if you're going to do that, you gotta be, I mean, Gen Con's obviously the one that a lot of the big publishers, uh, aim sure. at, but I think, you know, but if you're going to, if you're, if you kind of look at it that way, I mean, and I think Gary Con or even potentially game hole con, you know, would be, or there's, there's others probably as well, but sure. You know, but you're going to have to be, but you're going to be regular, I guess, in some ways. I don't know, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. You got to have something fresh. You're there. Yeah. People are, people are very, what's the word I'm looking for? Where it's, it's, that made the words compulsive is not the right word, but it, it it's, uh, it's an impulse buy really what it is. Well, it is an impulse buy, but also like you talked about with the guys with, when, when you picked up all the zines, it's kind of like a Patreon. It's like, I want to support you. I don't necessarily, right. you know, but if like I would have came home and thought about it, I wouldn't have ordered them. Right. You were talking, right. you were talking about, you were talking them up. I went and talked to the dudes. They were wonderful people, characters. Yes. And at that moment, I'm like, I really don't care. I'll just buy. They're at five dollars a piece. I didn't really buy that much anything else. And like, mm -hmm. whatever they had that was reasonable, I would have bought. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. So, yeah. But then I think that's the thing. So, like, 
one of the very first people in the community that really kind of like reached out to me after I did the first Kickstarter on Hot Springs Island was James Raggi. And he was like, hey, dude, like I'm going to be at Gen Con. Do you want to come and sort of like have your books in my booth at Gen Con? And, you know, you helped me sell some limitation stuff. And I was like, sure, I've never been to Gen Con ever. Like this would be really cool. Um, so I went up there and I did that and it was awesome. And and I actually did that a couple of years. Um, but the thing is, is that, and I saw it at that time too, where literally these guys would come up to James's booth and they would say, okay, I have everything on your table. Like I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this. All right, what's new this year? And James would be like, well, I have these four books that are new this year. And they would just buy those four books. And like, they wouldn't even ask about price. They wouldn't right. ask about nothing. They'd be like, here's my card. Give me the new stuff. I'm good to go. And it was like, it wasn't just like one person that did this. It was person after person after person after person. So like, the convention scene, if you will, is a separate scene from the online, you know, right. the Twitter scene. There is, again, there's definite overlap, like there is with like the Jack Vance scene and stuff. Um, but but it's a different, it's a different world and you have to kind of treat it differently. And so, so that's part of the reason I think where I feel like I can justify saying like, as long as I'm breaking even and I'm covering my booth and my car and the food and, you know, the, the hotel, it's worth it, you know, because I'm seeing these people that I wouldn't necessarily see in other places. Like I, I wouldn't necessarily see them online or maybe I've seen them online, but I've never been able to interact with them in person. And it's just, it's a better thing. Well, you um, know, there is a point to that too, right? Because I mean, assuming you've got a good personality, because it could, I guess, go back. Backfire, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> but you're right. You're actually making a connection with people. Yeah. Well, see, I think the thing about that that I think is really kind of interesting too is that all right. So I changed the cover for Hot Springs Island, and it now has a uh, you know a naked lady butt on the front, and there's the big bad guy, and he's got like a chain on her, and you know. When I posted this on Kickstarter, when I posted this online, there were a number of people, a small number of people, but there were very vocal people like, this is the most horrible thing I've ever seen. I can't believe that you're doing this. I can't believe that you're going to be depicting, you know, violence against women and blah, blah, blah. Like, all like there was, there was a moment um, where people were very upset. But when I am in person, those people that are loud on the internet, they are silent in real life. And the people that come by the booth are like, I love this cover. This is the most amazing cover I've ever seen. This is phenomenal. This is fantastic. This is so great. This is so blah, 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 blah. You know, everybody's like super complimentary. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, the, the, just the, the people in meat space are different than people in, in internet space um, dramatically. But see, so. You, so you bring up something that I've been kind of thinking about. <clears throat> so there is a, a, a um, partner with someone else. We're looking at doing some uh, sword and sorcery type um adventures products and looking at we really wanted to go for like a comic book style or cover but i did find something that was very very much um in the style of frazetta mm -hmm. and it was very like it, it was like full-on ass cheeks i mean male and woman so i guess yeah. the question <laughs> uh, to do it again ass cheeks yes or no <laughs> Do they sell or do they do they not sell well i mean i think the thing is is that like, number one, the reason that people say don't judge a book by its cover is because everybody judges books by their cover, right. um, period. And, and then one of the things also is that, so supposedly, and I, I, should, I should get better, um, what's it called? I feel like I tell this story enough that I should really have better um, 
sources and I don't have sources that I can just list. I'm not like those cool guys that wrote those zines that have immaculate sources. I don't have an immaculate source for this, but supposedly Netflix did all of this studying, like all of these studies, you know, to see like what people are clicking on, what's engaging people. And apparently if they showed an image of the bad guy of a series doing a bad thing, it increased user engagement on the platform. So I'm like, Hot Springs Island book cover, the bad guy is doing a bad thing. Sales haven't slowed down. People tell me that they love it. I mean, of course, people really like the black cover. I like the black cover, but the material cost was just like insane. So, and I had to, I had to make a, a decision on what to do. So when we, when we decided to go with an art cover, it was like, let's have Sparku, you know, let's have Sparku be in Sparku. And, and that was kind of one of the things too. Like I did sort of leave it open to the, to the artist as well. And he was like, this is what I want to paint. And so I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't think that necessarily, I mean, I don't know that it has to be butt cheeks on the, on the cover. I don't think that, that that's necessary, but I don't think that people need to be afraid of putting butt cheeks on the cover. I don't want to say you should absolutely do it, but also I don't think if that's what you want to do, I say you shouldn't be afraid of doing it. You should just do it. I mean, if you want to embrace it, yeah, depict what you want to depict because ultimately it's a, it's a, uh, I don't know. It's an art object of, you know, in some, like it was created, like you're going to, you're going to make it, you should make it the thing you want it to make. And if you're like, I really wanted butt cheeks on the cover, but I didn't do it because I was scared. That's a bad choice. You should have stuck to your guns. But if you're yeah, like, yeah, I, I, um, so we were fan of the fly God. There was a scene where there's supposed to be this, uh, this, this, this undead King, basically he's kept alive then by being fed by these maggot people. And he's just can't move. He's just, and, uh, and so the guy, like the artist, like, you want me to, (laughs) you want me to show his thing or not show his thing? I'm like, (laughs) I thought about it. I was like, you do what you want. I don't care. It's like, I'm not going to tell you. He chose not to, which is probably better, but sure. I was fine if he did. It's like, you know, it's like we're going to the weird and the gross. And this is not a like a weird kind of thing. It's just, you know, this guy being shown very vulnerable and right. helpless. Well, and, and you're uh, not, you're not they're not being intended to like go in Walmart in the toy section next to, you know, like Barbie's on one aisle. And then here's like a naked fly dude, like right there. So that after church, everybody could go see it. Like, no, it's not, that's not how it works. It's like, no, we're at a, it's at a, it's at a game convention or it's online where you have your own audience. And if your audience, your audience is like, yeah, that's fucking awesome. Then like, do it, do it. I, I don't know. I say embrace your audience. Don't think about the people that aren't your audience. Cause, cause that's the thing. If people, are not playing your game and they are not buying your game, but they're running their mouth telling you what you should do to change your game. Like they can shut the fuck up. I I don't care. I don't care what they say. Like you're not playing it. You're not buying it. You're, you're pretty much irrelevant to me. And if you're trying to spin it, it's like, well, I might consider doing this. If you make these changes, like, well, you can fuck (laughs) off. I don't care. I'm going to have butts and maybe we'll have, you know, wieners on the cover next time. I don't know. I don't know. It depends. If the artist wants to do it, like, let's, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. I don't write, uh, Raji, he got kind of, there's one cover. I think he kind of regretted doing. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, but he, but he was still, I think he was still behind it. That like, whatever they told him, he's like, whatever, <laughs> just do it. It's exactly. Like, I'm not really comfortable with this, but go ahead. 
Exactly. Yeah. Now, the, the one thing that gets tricky, though, sometimes is when you do something and like people interpret it in a way that you totally didn't intend for it to be. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, shit, maybe they're like their interpretation is legitimate. Potentially, I wasn't even thinking about that. Like, I know I don't right. I don't know if I necessarily want to bring up. Well, Bradgy, but like, well, I, I guess I will. Because um, yeah. I think he did. That. For Gen Con, he always makes a little flyer to hand out of like, here's all the titles that we have. And he has amazing artwork on the covers of these. And like for one of them, um, he had a bunch of kids on pikes. That's like a joke because, right. you know, it was kids on bikes. It's very yeah. popular. But yeah, yeah. Here's all of these kids and they're on pikes and whatever, which is like, I mean, I think it's a great thing, whatever. It clearly communicates a lot of stuff. But then people tried to take it and spin it as like, oh, you're attacking the people who made the game called kids on bikes, which is like, number one, that's bullshit. But number two, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe it, maybe that wasn't the best example, but uh, of something because I mean that it wasn't intended whatsoever. And it's like the 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 theme or the idea of the quote unquote kids on bikes has been around for a lot longer than the one group that made the game called that. Right. Um, but yeah, so it can always blow up in your face. I guess maybe is what I'm saying. But <laughs> even then, did it actually blow up in his face? Because I don't think it. I don't know that it did. But no, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's 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 yeah it is it is definitely a world world and i don't know and i think for you know going back to the, the ash cheeks it does convey mm. a genre like frazetta really kind of we'll blame frazetta yes. but it, it, boy it does set the the, the the color palettes and the the style it, it it just sets a very a very strong mood like yeah. i i don't know why it does what it does but it does it does it sets the mood, it sets the tone, it sets the vibe, it sets the whole thing. You know, you know what it is. The cover is clearly communicating what is inside the book. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh and that's what's you know, going back to that, it's like uh and and I don't know what we'll we'll do, probably not do that, but uh but but going back to Erie, but even like with the Erie uh well, I just say the Warren comics, um Warren magazines with the vampire vampire LO eerie um uh creepy can't think of the other have you, do you ever read any of those some of them like some of the like the old the older pulps and stuff Is well yeah they, or, or the, there's the new ones that are, that are like that no there, there's a series uh so basically they were slightly they're very some of the covers were fairly lurid lurid mm-hmm. lurid and the comic book authority they, they would do things in these it's like horror comics but they the comic books authority would not allowed to do that so then they so they created these in magazine format so they're just comic books in magazine format oh yeah, of, yeah 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 so the, the eerie magazine the ones from like the 60s is what you're 70s yeah or 70s yeah 60, okay yeah yeah so okay but those those are another ones are just great for setting the tone and the mood yeah well no i mean i like it it's that whole thing where it's like screw you guys i'm gonna do my own thing yeah so here exactly <laughs> You won't let me do this in a comic book? I'll make the comic book a, a magazine. <laughs> right. And I think that that's one of the things that's really nice about the the RPG scene, the indie RPG scene, is that people can do that and people are doing that. And so it's just like, keep rolling. It's great. And the thing is, is that if you have people that are saying like, oh, I don't like that, I don't want to see that depicted. Well, it's like, you don't have to buy it. It's already a niche of a niche of a niche of a niche anyway. Yeah. And you can make your own thing. Like I'm not stopping you from making your thing and putting whatever you want on the cover of it. I'm just, you know, I'm I, doing you, this. You'd have to be pretty big to do this. And I don't know if there'd be any value, but 
I kind of wonder if you do like a, a, a two different covers. Right. And then I do, mean, the, it, do the one just be a low volume run. It could, but I just don't, I don't even see what the, again, I think it goes back to like, if they're people that you know are actually your audience and they're actually buying your stuff and playing your stuff and running your stuff, then maybe listen to them. But I think that there's a lot more people who don't buy your stuff who don't play your stuff, but they run their mouth all the time saying that you should well, be making changes I'm not to saying cater that, to them. That you're doing it because of them. But I mean, you could like say, this is the one, oh, sure. there's another one kind of like the alternate comic book cover kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, you know, and on that, like hot Springs Island is not the right thing. And swordfish islands is not the right thing. Um, but I do, I mean, I have, I have two little kids of my own and I would love to have like a kid, friendly game because i do think that 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 is one of the things that i feel um you know when i go to these conventions it's like there's not stuff for kids at them um which i understand but at the same time it's like you know you need fresh blood and so you can't if you have butt cheeks on the cover of every single one of your books then you know yeah mom isn't gonna let the 11 year old (laughs) have that now it's the thing that the 15 year old wants or whatever, yeah. which is fine. But like, you know, the, the, who, who has their own job and can potentially go out and yeah. get that. But like, you know, your fourth grader is not going to be able to play that game and they don't need to play that game. And it doesn't need to be about that. And that's the thing too, where I'm like, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that like my books are about that, but like, I'm not going to shy away from those things. Um, so I don't know, but yeah, I definitely see a lot of value in having something that is, kid-friendly family-friendly fun to play you know that isn't that isn't all like gore and horror and you know creepy stuff and then butts on the cover like there's there's room for both of those things but i think that if your thing is one of those if your thing is you know the adult thing then i think it's super okay to put the adult stuff on the cover um i would rather have a whole separate offering that's like this is to introduce people to the genre this is to bring people into the thing um and that that has its own cover that communicates its thing in its way, as opposed to making like an alternate cover for, you know, the adult thing to try and. Well, and you're also, you're buying at such volumes that it wouldn't make sense. Yeah, maybe. Well, I don't think it's that bad. Actually, if you're doing like an offset print run, if you did want to have like a separate cover um, for like a small run, I do think, cause, cause the in the inside is the same. Um, the, they're going to be buying the same, especially if it's like an art cover, right? Like they're going to be buying the same amount of chipboard or whatever to make the hardcover part of it. They're still going to have to do 1500 units of being sewn together. So if you're saying like, I want 200 of these to have this different cover, it's not going to be that expensive. Well, I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, it will be an expense, but I don't think it's going to, well, I mean, obviously I could eat these words, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be as expensive. It might be right. Right, it's not the same as right because it's not the same as these uh, non whatever that's called the non offset printers. Uh, right. Runs print the, it's just a digital uh, digital press. Yeah, exactly the digital press. So you're right because they're just printing out a bunch of pages and another another set of pages, and then they're like, oh, I, I'm I'm making a lot of assumptions, uh, but anyway, right because the process is a it, yeah, it's it's. Yeah, it's probably all separated. Well, maybe it's not. I assume it's all separate, printed separate, like so many pages, like the four pages mm-hmm. or however many pages they do before they fold it and cut it um, are being ran. And then later on, they're put together. And yeah, well, because actually, 
sorry, I've actually been thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, that's what I did with the World Builders Notebook, right? I did four colors. So I did a print run. I did a thousand of each cover. So I did a job for a thousand, but there were, or I did a job for 4,000, but then there were a thousand black, a thousand blue, a thousand red, a thousand gray. Um, so yeah, and it wasn't astronomical, astronomical to have the, the variant covers, if you will. So yeah, that's definitely an option. Hmm. 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 We're a little ways from that. I, I think we're not going to sure. go to that, to that degree. And I don't know our, our runs would be high enough, but if sure. it is, you never know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, so what are you working on now? Or what's the, the next thing that you're, if you could talk about the next secret project? Well, I mean, it's not really a secret because it's just, it's, it's Marlowe's Meyer, which is the next of the Swordfish Islands. Um, and, and that is in the works. And I did the Kickstarter for that last year. Um, and it was supposed to just be a 48 page booklet, which the 48, if it was just a 48 page booklet, it would definitely be done by now. But then people were like, no, no, make it, make it more. So I'm making it more. And now it's, delay or i mean i don't know if it's delayed it's it changed so i don't know i need to figure <laughs> scope I need to creep figure it out. yeah of course it's totally scope creep it's totally scope creep but also you know the thing is is that i had a critical need like we needed to reprint hot springs island because we were almost out and we needed to move the warehouse and we if we did it it would have wiped us out of like everything that we had, which would have been a huge risk. So it was like, well, let's do this little thing that's 48 pages and just knock it out and get it going. And, and so I should have stuck to my guns and said, no, that's what it's going to be. Um, probably, but now I'm in a new, a new spot. Cause I said, it's going to be something different. And now I need to, you know, actually deliver. So it's happening. We're working on it. We've been play testing it. I'm happy with how it is, but you know, part of it too is, is that like, I'm, I'm, I'm now really having to stick to my guns because I think Marlowe's is a small island. It's only four hexes. Hot Springs is 25 hexes. Um, so it has 75 locations, whereas Marlowe's has, what, 12 locations. Um, one that we kind of added another one. but uh, Or we kind of added two more. So, it, you know, we're, we're a little loose with it, but um, it works and it's good. But, but because it's a, it's a small island, and the thing that I feel is holding us back um, or is slowing things down. I don't know, holding us back is not the right word, but slowing us down is that we want it to be a place that's full of people. And I feel like presenting a place that's full of people is something that has been hard for me and something that has not been, like I feel uh, pretty weak at it. Like one of the things I ran um, the Mothership campaign, uh, oh my gosh, and I'm going to blank on it. It's the one that's like the diehard spoof. That's um I don't know. Oh my gosh. I ran it for my guys. They loved it. It was good. We had a good time. But uh hmm. Dying Hard on Hardlight Station. Thank you. Sorry. Apologize for that. But yeah, Dying Hard on Hardlight Station. Really good. But it's taking place on a, you know, a, a space station at Christmas time, and there is sort of like an alien outbreak, and there's also uh, these sort of like a cleanup crew, like mercenaries that are coming and showing up at the same time. But it's supposed to be like a Christmas party environment where you have people all over the place, and they're running, and they're screaming, and they're doing all kinds of stuff, and they're trying to escape, and, and whatever, and the players are in there. And like, as I was running it, I was just like, I 
feel like this is an empty place and the only people that are in here are the players. Like I'm not putting in enough NPCs. I'm not putting in enough, you know, stuff like that. And so for Marlowe's where it's like, well, we want to have, um, basically it's, you kind of have sort of like a, a, a debtor colony, if you will. Um, you have all these people that are there like salvaging shipwrecks and stuff. And, um, you know, I want there to be people all over the place that are working, that are doing stuff. And so how do you do that and make it easy for the dungeon master to be like, okay, um, I've, I've, you guys have an encounter with some NPCs. Like, how do we make that relevant, interesting, necessary? Um, how do we make it feel full and that you're kind of in this milieu of, of other stuff where you're not really important? I think it's easier to do that if it's like you're in the jungle and there's monsters in the jungle. Um, but if it's like there's other intelligent humanoids that you can be interacting with at any given moment, I think that's a lot harder. Right, because their motivations are different. We're right. The dinosaur is either going to it's either hungry going to eat you or it's just going to be a, a an obstacle to get where you want from where you want to, to get yeah. away from where you want to go. Like we got to get through this triceratops, you know, yeah. herd without causing them to stampede or whatever. Yeah. And so whereas this, we have like a couple of guys who've got bags who are on their way to go to the cave to harvest like bat guano because they're going to sell it. So, I mean, you know, are they going to try and steal from you? Are they going to try and murder you? Are they going to, you know, size you up like because they have a shady background or, you know, what, what, what do we do with that? Do, or does it even matter? You know, should we be even spending the time on this? And I think we should be. So I'm doing it. Um, and you're because keeping, one of oh, no. and, and the problem is keeping that all within 48 pages too, right? Well, we're, we're definitely beyond 48. No, pages. but I mean, but I'm just saying is when your ambition is to say, you know, we need to populate this Island. It's like, that's yeah. another thing that, the, the page count starts increasing when it's beyond just doing a, a short stat block for a triceratops. Well, I guess you don't do stat blocks for monsters, do you? But no, we don't. But still, yeah. yes, we would, we would still have like a description and everything yeah. of them. But yeah, it, it, does, it does creep having all that kind of stuff in it. And so it's like, well, let's, how do we make these tables relevant and how do we do that? But, but also, I do think that there's a real problem. Like, I love the fact that Hot Springs Island is system neutral. I want all of the stuff to be system neutral. I think the system neutrality is very important. And I think that it's one of the sort of biggest selling points, if you will, of um, what, what I'm doing. But at the same time, that makes it only accessible for people who've been around. So it's really good for people who've been around for, for a while. So one of the things that we've been trying to figure out, and I think we've accomplished, um, and that we've been playtesting recently, is just... So Mike Evans, who wrote Hubris, and he wrote um, this thing called Orcs, and he's done, you know, Death is the New Pink and a bunch of stuff like that. His DIY RPG productions with the little middle finger for the logo. <laughs> Death um, is the New Pink. <laughs> yes, Death is the New Pink. Yeah. No, he's got great stuff. But, like, um, man, I don't know. It was 2019, maybe, at Gen Con. He ran a game after hours upstairs in like one of the hotels at, and like the bar or whatever. And there were 12 of us, I believe that all came and he just ran a game for everybody. And he called it like the meat grinder rule system. And it's a, uh, it's a even more stripped down version or simplified version of DCC's funnel in a lot of ways. Cause you start with four characters and your four characters have four hit points a piece and that's it. So it's much more brutal, but that's once you have that, that's all you have to do in order to start. And you basically have like a 50% chance of success if you're going to try and do anything. So it's like, oh, I want to try and hit the monster. Cool. You roll an 11 or higher and you hit the monster. But the monster is pretty much always going to hit you. So getting in combat is not a great thing. Um, and so he was kind enough to give us permission to basically like use that with kind of some modifications. Not really a lot of modifications. But just to have that 
so that we could put it there with Marlowe's um, as, hey, so if you are playing for the first time and you don't know what system you're going to use and you don't know what, like, with these four pages, you can, excuse me, um, you can start playing with your friends, like, immediately. And so here it is. And, and Marlowe's being a small island that's centrally located is also connected to all of the other islands. So there's kind of, like, extraneous work, or not extraneous work, but, like, there's work that we need to do with those others to make sure that we have good connections and good ties. So it's like, okay, maybe you start on Marlowe's and then you go to other places, you know, from there, which then additionally makes it a positioning, a positioning situation. Cause it's like, well, what is this book? How do we sell this book? If I go to a convention, you know, do I call it, Oh, it's the dark of Marlowe's Mire, um, which makes sense in terms of like swordfish islands and how I've been doing that stuff. Um, but I don't think we're going to call it that. I think we're, Currently, right now, I'm thinking about calling it Castaway in the Swordfish Islands because um, it works on on two levels, right? You've got people, a shipwreck survivor is a castaway, and then since it's like a debtor's colony, the people that are on it have been cast away from society. Um, so calling it something like that, where it's like Castaway in the Swordfish Islands or Castaway in the Swordfish Islands. Um, and so it has all the information for Marlowe's. It has all the connections to the other islands. It has sort of like context for the other islands and the Swordfish Islands as a whole. And then it also has all of the content on Marlowe's itself, as well as um, a whole bunch of stuff about shipwrecks and generating your own shipwrecks. And like, here's stuff that's on, that you can find on a shipwreck or what's in the box or what's in the thing. Um, so tables like that, uh, as well as like some dungeons and stuff. So. Have you ever been yeah. tempted to just actually do another version, but just like when it's already existing and then just make it dedicated to a system? Well, in the perfect world, if I had all the money in the world, um, what I would do is I would have the system neutral book. So like you get hot, the dark of hot springs Island and maybe the field guide, but then there would be a paperback companion book, if you will. That's like, here is how you do hot springs Island for dungeon crawl classics. And then there's a separate one. And, and you know, it, again, in my perfect world, I would have, like, Doug Kovacs, who does all the DCC art. I would have him do the cover of the DCC Hot Springs Island, like, um, I don't know, whatever that book would be called. Uh, so then that, it has all the stats for all the monsters, and it has all the DCC-specific, like, rule stuff in it. Um, and then I would want to do one like that for 5th edition D&D, or 1D&D, or whatever the next thing is, or, or Pathfinder. So that then you have these conversion kits if you will that then give you the context of like well here's how you do this in pathfinder and here's how you do it in fifth edition and here's how you do it in you know into the odd here's how you do it in mothership it's real crazy yeah <laughs> i don't know i don't know about that so yeah. so is is it what's holding you back is because obviously you have a limited amount of time and you want to put the money your your time into going forward rather than expanding out what already exists um, well, I mean, I, I am. So doing Marlowe's is expanding out. I feel like that's going deeper into, well, I mean, expanding out as far as system wise, not yeah. setting wise. So like you can either go deeper into your setting or you can spread out and hit more systems. Right. Well, I, I, that's the thing. I definitely want to go deeper into my setting. I'm not really interested in going out to a lot of systems, but I also feel like there is a very, I think it's very important to have a, like, Hey, if you get this, you can just sit down and start playing. Um, because if you're if you're new, because there is, I, I do feel like there's still a significant amount of people that are like, I've never run anything like this before. I've always wanted to play D D or something. And so it, it just feels very nice to be able to say, like, hey, well, if you take this, um, 
like you can get playing with your friends in 15 minutes. And I think that that's a very powerful thing, not just for being able to sell the books, but I mean, you know, if people are, the, the important thing is people running the game um, more so than, than buying the book. Uh, and so I, I want people to be able to run the game. And so if I'm like, Hey, here's a very simple rule slight system that will just get you playing immediately. Cause the idea with this, this funnel, right. Is that, you play like a game, maybe two, depending on how long it goes. But at the end of that game, at the end of that session, um, you then take one of your surviving characters or your only surviving character, and you turn them into a real character in whatever system you choose. So that then that way, instead of having oh, yeah. a session zero, where everybody sits down at the table and is like, what story are we going to tell? What game are we going to play? What things are we interested in? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, no. We're playing in the Swordfish Islands and session zero is we're going to play and we're going to start going right now. And so then you you basically make your backstory for your character on the fly. It's like, oh yeah, my guy got like ripped apart by zip birds and is missing like his pinky finger because that actually happened to me. But now, you know, it's not just your your sort of standard background story of like, oh yes, my parents were killed by orcs and I was raised on the hard streets of the capital yeah. city and it was a street I'm, I'm secretly a steal. prince, but I've and, uh, yes, a, yeah. a coup and I've been swept away and waiting for right. my kingdom one day. Right, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> this way, it's just like, no, you're somebody, your past doesn't matter. You spent some time on this island. Here's what happened to you, you know, in this time and now you just lean into that and roll with it. And I think that's a better... Um, I prefer doing things that way uh, quite a bit. So, yeah, yeah it, it's kind of interesting. And I, 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 I kind of think it's, it's even philosophical in a way I didn't really think about, like, you know, how we view our past and is our past baggage or not. I mean, even on a personal level, mm -hmm. I just now kind of, I don't know why it came to mind. <laughs> it's like, but yeah. I I think that's super legit because it is it it is and how do you how do you incorporate that in there and I I know that there are a lot of people that they want to tell like super elaborate stories with with um what has already happened to their character and I guess I'm much more into I want stories to emerge from the game that you're playing right now and not necessarily I've I don't feel like I've ever been in a game where it's been successfully executed in my opinion where it's like okay if I say that my character has a sibling or, you know, somebody that they potentially care about, then the only thing that ever seems to happen from doing that is like, well, the DM is going to have them show up to kill them or maim them or take them away, or they're going to try and use them to, to motivate my character in some way. And I'm just, I don't know. I think what, feels... I, what I've enjoyed, I think about, especially, I guess it would only be at con games, but I think I would mm -hmm. even enjoy this in real life, real life, <laughs> my own actual games. <laughs> <laughs> is uh that'd be playing would be that i would be handed a character yes and and certain details of the history was already laid out, like not detailed but personality and some history and now the challenge is to play whatever that character is true to that character yeah well that's one of the things that i love about into the odd right is that with into the odd when you make your character you take your hit points and your highest stat 
and there's like a table and there's like a little matrix and you oh. find where your character is. And when you do that, um, it gives you just a very small background. Like it'll be like a sentence or two sentences. And it usually it starts you with something. Um, so if you have like super shitty stats and low hit points, you know, maybe it gives you a gun. Um, and oh, that's have, genius. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. And I, I love that about into the odd. It's, it's probably <laughs> my favorite part of the whole thing. Um, because it does, it's just just enough to get you going. It's like a little, it's like a little kernel um, that can grow into all these different ways, um, and it's based on what you roll. And so it's just like, boom, here it is. You have your little thing, and you're like, okay, so I've got a meat cleaver, and I was a butcher, and I lost my shop. Um, so I'm I'm adventuring now because I guess that's what I'm doing. And then you can just sort of fall back on that in so many ways when it comes up, and you're like, oh yeah, I'll just chop the monster up. We could sell it for parts, or we'll make bone broth out of it, or something. And then. Right. You know, you don't have to have the whole elaborate, you know, fantasy milieu story right. to, to go with. Yeah, and I think it becomes harder, obviously, harder the uh, more um, people playing at the table, too. That mm-hmm. also makes it complicated, I think. Yep. And, I, and it's, and it, yeah, I guess this question, so, like, have you ever played, uh, so, like, I, have you ever played like Smallville? I have not. So we created a a um, a game. It was just a sci-fi game, but we actually spent sessions kind of creating the background, the history, and the people in relationships, mm-hmm. which was really kind of cool because then characters come into the game with already having determined like and knowing all the background, mm-hmm. which was pretty satisfying, which was kind of neat. Um, but but in order to make that work, everybody has to be committed to it. And I think the same thing right. probably with any sort of background. It's like the problem is, is like if a character creates this background and only the player cares about it, nobody else cares about it. That can be a problem. But if yes, absolutely. But if you create a situation where everybody's kind of tied into everybody else somehow, and people are in somehow in some ways invested in other people's background in a way yep. that makes sense with the NPCs that are actually important in the story not just how am i going to f- figure in this you know aunt that you know or whatever or uncle or best friend from college you know at, right. then it works but but it has to be the whole table has to be invested and it has to be that kind of game yeah well i mean that one of the things that i would really 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 like to to finish that i have this incomplete project um that's had multiple names by the, at this point. But like the thing that I want to do is I want to try and capture the idea that like you are from a small town that is secluded in a mountain valley. Like you're from there because I think that that's kind of the thing is like when you make these characters like you're not really from the world. You don't have any knowledge of the world. You don't know what the connections are. Like you've just made up the fact that there's an ant. You've made up your own like, you know, grandmother or whatever um for your own personal story thing. Whereas I would really like to have something where it's like, you know, you're from this small village in the mountains. It's relatively isolated. Um, In addition to getting a character sheet, you get some kind of informational sheet that shows you your connections to the other people that that does that. That's like, hey, so, you know, you're part of this family um, and this your family has this kind of relationship with the other families in the in the valley and then what you do is um then you have basically like a zombie outbreak or you know some sort of like oh. catastrophe comes there so then it's like 
now you can look at your sheet and you can be like, well, I have a grandma in hex two and I want to go save my grandma in hex two. But then somebody else at the table is like, well, I have, you know, a cousin and six, you know, kids on the West side of the Valley. Oh, so I like we should go over there. So really so the relationship yeah. but see the thing is, let's say you had a template yeah, and then you filled in the template and then the relationships mm-hmm. maybe rolled. Like maybe all of a sudden, then you find out once you can have aunt May and uncle Bill and your buddy, Fred, then you roll and you find out, oh, this person's had an affair with this person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This person has stolen from this person. And, okay. You know, that could be kind of cool too. Um, sure. Without having, or if you could, if it could both be, you generate the the inputs, but then you also randomly kind of maybe roll some of the relations. The problem yeah. with like the Smallville thing is it just took a long time to do. It was very fun. Um, the game we played only it wasn't small, but we used that system to generate the background. We only played like three sessions. Okay. It, was very, it was a very satisfying three sessions, <laughs> but it was just like that was it. We're done. Like I don't, we don't sure. need to do it anymore. <laughs> okay, interesting. But I was thinking like the Mad Libs. You know, if you can, yeah, something along those lines. Well, because I think that that's the thing, right? Is that I, I think that the problem is that ultimately when you're playing in a, in a tabletop role-playing game, you are a stranger in a strange land, but you want to be playing a character who is from there. And I, I feel like a lot of sort of problems come from that. Um, especially in, in like people's perceptions of like metagaming and stuff, right? Like for my perspective is, is that it's like, okay, so if, if my person grew up in a world where there are real trolls that are going around and eating people and eating cows and sheep and chickens and stuff like that. Like I feel like there would be fairy tales and stories that people would tell their children that like, this is what trolls are and they're weak against fire because you need to know that information in order to survive in this world. You know, and I feel like there are some people that are like, no, no, it's supposed to be like a surprise to your character. And I'm like, but that character is from this world that's dealing with this troll problem all the time. Like, why like don't get mad at me because i know that the troll is weak against fire don't make it this arbitrary thing you know whatever and so so having those connections trying to come up with like a a way to give your player sort of meaningful choices based on things from the world i mean that's part of the whole reason that i made the field guide is because it's like your character knows nothing about this place they're in a sandbox they can go north south east or west It, it doesn't really matter if they don't know anything if they don't know that they have some kind of connection over here or that there is some potential like, um, you know, MacGuffin over there, when you say like, you can do anything you want, if they don't know what's available at all, like it, it just, it brings a sandbox to a screeching halt. It makes it, you know, everything's the same. So there's no reason to do it. I think the problem is like, as I was somebody on Twitter, I didn't, I didn't respond, but they're arguing for highly, they call it simulistic, uh, simulationist games. Mm. Like, and I'm like, what are they really simulating? Simulationist game. I mean, like, it really isn't a term that really even means anything because it's like you're saying is you can have all these complex rules of fighting and of combat and of healing and all this stuff, but it's not really simulating people that actually live in it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like, well, what are you you, simulating? You're, <laughs> you're expected to know all the rules about the fighting and the combat and the <laughs> yeah. healing and the stuff so that you can play, but then you're also expected to then not know anything about the people in the world or the lore of the world or the myths of the world, because then that's going to spoil the game. And I'm like, I flatly reject that. <laughs> the other thing I was thinking too, it's like, 
D&D, even the more complicated games, there's very few things that actually simulate reality. All they do right, is simulating yeah. something, but they're not reality. Well, to go back to those guys making those zines, I mean, and even when it's simulating reality, it's wrong because Gary <laughs> Gygax said that 50 feet of rope weighs 10 pounds as they can show you that it doesn't. It's maybe three pounds, yes. you know? So it's like, and and the thing too is, is that when you're really trying to do that, like I feel like that part of just managing all of those tiny little pieces really sucks. Like that's the stuff that a computer is very good at. Like a computer is good at remembering, right. you know, how much everything weighs and tracking it and knowing that you're over your encumbrance or whatever. Um, but the, the yeah. fact is in real world, a dagger tends a good chance of killing you. Right. Every time a stab of the dagger has the potential to kill you. But if you're a 10th level character, uh, <laughs> it's going to take a lot of da dagger hits to actually do anything to you. Exactly. <laughs> People say, well, the hit points don't represent, don't represent actual physical health. It's like, it represents like luck or it's like, then you're not simulating anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think it's like with the, if you ever play any of the, like a lot of the Cortex games, like the Smallville and the, um, and I've not played Smallville itself, but um, like Firefly and a lot of these other things. Yeah. And I think even with the, some of the Power by Apocalypse games is uh, like the masks and such, they are simulating uh, media and genres. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not simula trying to simulate a combat action, but but actual fiction. I think that's what D&D's kind of done. D&D's created its own niche fiction. And yeah. then that's why nothing can be D&D &D because... It's 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 its own thing. It's not really simulating any book. You can never get the feeling of Elric or Hawkmoon or Conan playing D anD. d Yeah, potentially. Yeah, yeah. With the rules, I, I one of the things I've been thinking about recently is that I feel like every time the people at, at Wizards of the Coast recently, like I, I watched the the announcement that they did what yesterday, day before, um about the forthcoming virtual tabletop and, and things like that. But like, I feel like when those guys that are working for wizards of the coast say dungeons and dragons, I think that they're actually saying forgotten realms. They're not really saying dungeons and dragons. They're saying forgotten realms. Mm -hmm. Um, because my whole thing is like Dungeons and Dragons is specifically like, well, you're making your own world. Like here's a toolkit to make your own world is the way that I interpret that. But I think that the corporate interpretation is like, no, to play in our world, to do our, you know, where there's Tasha and Xanathar and, you know, whatever, whatever, and Dritzt and, and all of them. Um, and I'm like, nah. So I don't know. <laughs> well, and I think especially, and, and I'm speculating, but coming, people come from the, the, um, the uh the software field and i mm -hmm. think also looking at ip yeah you know that's they're like you know what well, our money is our money is really in the ip and the ip mm -hmm. really that even though they own many multiple ips i guess that's right really it's forgotten realms is where they're making their money and probably yeah. none of the others will ever make the kind of money that they will ever get from forgotten realms Sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Well, and it also it, it enables them to go deep in the lore, right, on something. Cause so it 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 it's beneficial. It's easy for people to grasp. It's it gives the community things to dress up as that are recognizably part of, you know, this is a Dungeons and Dragons thing, but it's like, no, it's a Forgotten Realms thing, you know? Um, because you can't have like like with with Blizzard Entertainment with World of Warcraft, I mean, they had all of this lore and all of this stuff. So 
you know, Blizzard does BlizzCon and they can have all of these people cosplaying as recognizable characters. So like somebody can dress up as like Tyrael, the Archangel from Diablo, and everybody's going to know that, oh, that's Tyrael. Whereas I think that if, you know, you had a Wizards of the Coast was like a Gen Con, if people come and they're like dressed up as somebody, they're not necessarily recognizably going to be, um, you know, like the wizard from your world. No one's going to know who that is. They're going to, oh, right. it's a wizard. That's really cool. But it's not like, oh, you're you know, Jaina Proudmore from Theramore or whatever. So I think by, by wizards focusing kind of on forgotten realms, it does make a lot of sense, you know, on a lot of different. Well, and it's kind of going back to, to, you know, with you, it's like we had discussions. It's like, you have limited amount of time and resources, right. even though arguably they have more. Yes. Like, but you know, they're going to really think of if we're, they want return on their investment. So if they're going to spend, you know, $1 and, and uh, Greyhawks only going to give them a dollar fifty back, but if they yep. put one dollar in towards Forgotten Realms, it's going to five dollars back. Why yeah. would they ever, yep, ever consider uh, Greyhawk? Mm-hmm. I was, Absolutely. I was hoping early on, which this never proved out. I was hoping early on that they would um, license the different properties to different companies. Yeah. Like Goodman Games, you know, mm-hmm. has got uh, Greyhawk and somebody else has got Dark Sun and then That'd they be cool. would be. But that, that's never going to. I mean, it's it's very apparent now that will never, ever, 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 never, ever, ever happen. Yep. Oh, well, maybe <laughs> it's video games. <laughs> I don't I don't think so. I don't think there's really an appetite. I think they're just going to keep it in the vaults. And well, I mean, they, they are making money off of drive through, but I don't think they're going to put any. I don't think there's going to be any effort. I think the only sure. thing they're going to do is just draw out certain pieces out of things and put it into Forgotten Realms. Like, yeah, I think I don't know. It's it's hard to say, but even like with Star Frontiers, would love to, um, you know, see something happen with that. I don't know that anything ever will. They'll just keep it keep it in the in the safe. Yep. But anyway. Well. <laughs> And they're much smarter with their money than I am. So I, I'm, who am I to say? It's just that uh, it is kind of, it's kind of weird. The, the things that, you know, people want, but they're just not going to get just because of whatever reason. But anyway, it's, I think we're hitting the, uh, the time space continuum. Jake. Oh yeah. <laughs> Rock on. We're still suffering a bit of lag. Uh, I would say jet lag. I guess you've, you've traveled farther, but uh, still. <laughs> that was a very energizing um you know and you going back to uh stating all the connections making it worth it i mean for me i didn't uh, i didn't sign up for any games i just met and talked with people nice and it was very it was very beneficial and, and like even just the um you know the uh kind of the hangout we did on saturday night was yeah. just uh yeah just like it <laughs> that was great it was perfect <laughs> So that's how we know about uh, if we ever want to talk to some people about getting rid of bodies, we know at least two people who can uh, take <laughs> care of us. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. Okay. Well, you have a good night, Jacob. And uh, until next time. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. Oh, great seeing you too. <laughs> <laughs>